0: Good morning and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. I am your editor, Bryce.
1: I'm one of your hosts, Abby. And I'm your other host, Erica. Today, we're going to be telling you part one of the infamous Zodiac Killer.
2: So pour yourself some coffee and let's dive in. Today we're going to be telling you guys about the Zodiac Killer and a lot of the possible victims and theories on suspects surrounding him, as well as going into the investigation and some of the letters and phone calls that were made during this time frame. It's a pretty publicized case that has not been solved, though. So there are a lot of theories that we will not be able to cover because we'd be here forever. So we're just going to tell you guys about the ones that we feel were most relevant. The Zodiac Killer was somebody who terrorized California throughout the 60s and 70s and possibly claimed up to 37 victims. This person has not been identified to this day, and we will go ahead and start off with just starting with one of the earliest possible victims of the Zodiac Killer.
1: On October 30th, 1966, Sherry Jo Bates was visiting her college library at Riverside City College in Riverside, California. And while she was at the library, somebody disabled her Volkswagen Beetle by disabling the ignition coil wire of the car distributor. Sherry's body was found in an alley and her car was found approximately 100 yards away. It was obvious that she had been murdered. She had been beaten and stabbed and her throat was slit. A men's Timex watch with a band was also found at the scene, and it was approximately a seven-inch wristband, so they guessed that that's about the size of the perpetrator's wrist. They also found a military-style heel print indicating a size 8 to 10 shoe, and they were able to trace the watch, which they traced it back to a military post that they believed to be in England, and the shoes could have been sold at a nearby Air Force base. Police believe that the watch was ripped from the attacker during the struggle, and the watch stopped at 1224, but they're unsure exactly what time the crime occurred. But it was said that Bates died very quickly from her injuries.
0: So for quite some time, nobody had any real leads on what had happened to this 18-year-old freshman. There were no real suspects, nothing to really go on until the day April 30th of 1967. Three letters were sent out, and they all read roughly the same thing Bates had to die there will be more and the three letters one of them was sent to the Riverside Press Enterprise another was sent to the Riverside Police Department and the third one was sent to the victim's father Joseph Bates it's also important to note that in December of the prior year which was the same year she was murdered there was a writing that was found underneath a desk in the Riverside City College Library Some of the words are a tad difficult to read, but essentially it reads like this. It's titled, Sick of Living, Slash Unwilling to Die. It reads, Cut, clean, if red, I clean. Blood spurting, dripping, spilling. All over her new dress. Oh well, it was red anyway. Life draining into an uncertain death. She won't die this time. Someone will find her. Just wait till next time. And then two letters at the bottom, RH. And it was never necessarily connected directly to the Zodiac, but since it was just a few months after her murder, and it seems to be written in a style similar to a lot of his letters, people often associate it with possibly one of his first writings.
2: It's definitely got a, like, interesting style to it. People don't typically write like that. It's like they're trying to be like a, like, mysterious or like a poet or something.
1: The handwriting, because I can see it on Bryce's screen, the handwriting is also strange.
2: Would you say it looks like a guy's handwriting more, or someone with poor handwriting, or is it decent?
1: I would say somebody with poor handwriting. It is a little hard to read some of it. Also, where it says someone will, where he's trying to say, like, someone will, I think. It also, we debated for a while, it might look like someone it find her or someone if find her. It's just, it's hard to read certain things. And I'm also curious, RH, why is this signed RH?
0: After reading through most of his letters myself, I would say it fits in pretty well with some of his later letters, but not some of his earlier letters. So I would say handwriting is probably similar enough to his, but it was written on the underside of a desk. I don't know how easy that is to do.
2: The underside of it.
0: Yeah, it's called the desktop letter, but it was written on the underside.
2: So they like laid on the ground and wrote that. Potentially,
0: this. so either that's a very interesting position to be in and not get caught in the library, or they were just there when no one else was. Either way, I feel like it's hard to write on a wooden desk, legibly, so that could attribute a little bit to how poor the handwriting is. Well,
2: and it sounds like the person would have been like looking up and you know, reaching their arm up to right. So that would be kind of awkward too. Yeah. Um Also, for those of you who don't know the Zodiac case, I'm sure most of you have at least vaguely heard of it. What makes it so well known is the fact that so many letters got sent to newspapers, police stations, people who were claiming to be the Zodiac. So that's what we're talking about when we say letters, and we'll definitely get into it more. On December 20th, 1968, 17-year-old David Faraday and 16-year-old Betty Lou Jensen were sitting in David's station wagon in a gravel parking lot on Lake Herman Road in Vallejo, California. It was about 11.15 p.m. when they noticed someone walk up to their vehicle. The person then held up a gun and forced David and Betty out of the vehicle before shooting David once in the head and shooting Betty 5 times as she ran off to try to escape. The weapon used was a 22 caliber semi-automatic pistol and there was no indication of robbery or sexual assault in this crime and seemingly no witnesses or a motive. It almost seems like The
1: killer was a little more focused on Betty because she did have additional gunshot wounds, which I know you said that she ran away. So it could have been like he was struggling to take her down. But typically when you see those extra wounds and excessive violence, then a lot of times that's the target of the perpetrator in that crime.
0: Well I'd like to point out you mentioned it was a 22 caliber pistol and 22 caliber rounds are very small in comparison to most handgun rounds like a 9mm or a 45 caliber. So it could be that these were just not very successful in killing them because they are small bullets typically don't pack a lot of punch would probably be a round you'd use for like a small animal or something. So it's possible that he got lucky in killing the guy in a shot or two but took a lot more cuz he just wasn't hitting lethal spots. Cuz if you get shot by a 22 caliber unless it's in like very very vital spots, you're not going to die from it.
2: Yeah, my interpretation of this is because he shot David in the head as he was getting out of the car, I think he probably intended to do the same to Betty, but she took off so he, you know, shot her in the back five times and I think those extra shots were to make sure she didn't get away possibly, but I am, I mean, I'm not sure. They both did die at the scene. Neither of them survived the attack.
0: The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15.
2: 22 year old Darlene Farron and 19 year old Mike Majo were sitting in a parking lot in Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo, California, in Darlene's car. And it was approximately midnight, 12 10 a.m., that time frame. A car pulled in to the lot by them and then left, and then ended up coming back and parking right behind them. Then a man with a flashlight got out of the vehicle and approached Darlene's car. The couple thought it was possibly a cop, but the man then began firing into the car at the two with a 9mm semi-automatic pistol. He'd shot in the car five times. He hit Darlene three and Mike twice. And then the man started to walk away and he heard Mike scream out in pain and returned and shot them both two more times. So in total, Darlene was shot five times and Mike shot four times. Darlene died from her injuries, but Mike actually survived the attack and was able to give an account of what happened. And he gave a small description of the perpetrator saying it was a white male between 5'8 and 5'9, late 20s to early 30s and stocky with a round face and brown hair and probably over 200 pounds. Once again there was no robbery or sexual assault that occurred with this crime.
0: Roughly 45 minutes later at about 12:40 in the morning, a call comes into 911 dispatch from an unknown caller that says, "I want to report a double murder. If you will go 1 mile east on Columbus Parkway to the public park, you will find the kids in a brown car. They were shot with a 9mm Luger. I also killed those kids last year. Goodbye." A lady by the name of Mrs. Johnson, who is labeled as a pt t operator, is the one that ultimately notifies the police that she had received the call and was then traced by Betty Main to a coin-operated telephone at the intersection of Springs Road and Tuolome Street in Vallejo.
2: Something I think is interesting is that we're starting to see a pattern here where this perpetrator is approaching like younger couples that are sitting in cars and just shooting them. It's seemingly random too, which I think is interesting that he's just finding these areas where people frequent at night and just picking people completely random. You don't see that a lot with, I wouldn't say like serial killers because they seem to kind of like look for their victims. Obviously, it goes both ways. I mean, we all know the Israel Keys thing. He just would drive around and find someone. But
1: yeah, this guy seemed very spontaneous and not quite like he was putting a whole lot of thought into his decisions. Just the fact that he needed a weapon and a private place to be able to kill his victims.
2: It seems, too, that this is a risky way to go after someone because when they're in the car, there's a lot of variables for things to go wrong which makes me wonder if maybe he it seems like that part of the thrill for him is having those unknown variables where things could go wrong and that it's a little risky
1: unless it's something that we're seeing where he's just acting straight out of rage and if he's out somewhere and something happens that causes him to feel the need to rage then he gets upset and just goes after his victims
0: the next notable thing happens on july 31st of 1969 which is probably the most infamous part of this case that a lot of the shows or movies kind of are mostly based around. There were three letters that were sent to the Vallejo Times Herald, the San Francisco Chronicle, and the San Francisco Examiner. And each one of the letters contained roughly a third of a cipher, which is essentially a code, and in total was 408 seemingly random characters arranged in what looks like a grid and if you've heard of this case before or seen anything about it chances are you've seen at least one of these ciphers as an example i'm going to read you what was sent to the san francisco examiner it starts out with dear editor i am the killer of those two teenagers last christmas on lake herman and the girl last fourth of july to prove this i shall state some facts which only i and the police know and it says Christmas. One, brand name of the ammo is Super X. Two, 10 shots fired. Three, the boy was on his back with his feet to the car. Four, the girl was on her right side, feet to the west. And then it says 4th of July. One, girl was wearing patterned slacks. Two, the boy was also shot in the knee. Three, the brand name of the ammo was Western. And then it's followed by, here is a cipher, or that is part of one. The other two parts are being mailed to the Vallejo Times and San Francisco Chronicle. I want you to print this cipher on the front page by Friday afternoon, August 1st, 1969. If you do not print this cipher, I will go on a kill rampage fry night. This will last the whole weekend. I will cruise around killing people who are alone at night until Sunday night, or until I kill a dozen people. And then it is ended with what will become the symbol that is known to represent the Zodiac, which is a circle with a cross through it. Thoughts about that?
1: (laughs) So the exact same letter was sent to all three newspapers, and then it was just slightly different with what was the cipher?
0: Yes, so roughly the same letter sent in all three letters, and then each of the three letters had a different section of the cipher. So if you put the three together, you get the one full cipher.
2: Did the newspapers... Print it?
0: Yes, they did end up doing that. And pretty shortly, it was actually solved.
1: How does somebody go about solving a code or a cipher like that?
0: Well, in this case, the type of coding that he was using wasn't terribly complicated. So some of the steps that was used to solve this particular one was there are some trends in the English language, such as letters that are used often or patterns of letters that seem to group together. So you could compare like the statistics that a certain symbol shows up versus the statistic that a certain letter shows up in English language, that can kind of give you a clue. And then once you start to maybe figure out some of those letters, you can start to slowly piece together the rest. In this case, it was solved by a teacher who spent the weekend going through it with his wife. And he said that one of his tactics was he figured... This guy is very egocentric. Chances are he's starting the letter with the letter I, or he's going to be talking about himself a lot. And he's probably also going to use the word kill at least once. So he looked for grouping of four letters that shared that letter-letter-double-letter pattern and found a few instances of that and then knew that second letter was for sure the letter I, So then he confirmed that where the letters I were. And it's just a process of elimination after that. Um, That was the easiest one he had ever sent, which is why it's one of the very few that was ever solved. But in that case, it was roughly the manner to use.
2: So after they solved it, what did they find that it said?
0: This is what it translates to. I like killing people because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all. To kill something gives me the most thrilling experience. It is even better than getting your rocks off with a girl. The best part of it is that when I die, I will be reborn in paradise, and those I've killed will have become my slaves. I will not give you my name because you will try to slow down or stop my collection of slaves for my afterlife. And there's a few misspellings throughout this that probably threw them off when they were solving this. Um, The last several characters of this translates to gibberish which some people think that he probably used to make it an even grid Um, so when he got to the end of his letter or his code there was some empty spots to make it a nice neat grid so he filled it in with random letters Um, that's their best guess but yeah so that's the code that was published into the newspaper and ultimately translated into that
2: obviously it's notable that he thinks the people he kills are going to become his slaves in the afterlife it's a pretty unique view.
1: So, Abby, you mentioned it earlier that like he kind of gets off on the thrill of like having it not really planned out and stuff, which he kind of addresses in this letter when he says it's the most thrilling experience. It is even better than getting your rocks off with a girl. Which I just think is such a weird way to phrase anything in life.
0: Well, I think that points to how much of a mental instability and how much of a mental psychological issue this really was. It was in his nature as a human to enjoy this instead of potentially any other mindset to have about killing people, whether it's revenge or self-defense or whatever it might be.
2: Yeah, and somehow there's something like an extra creep level when they compare it to like hunting animals or he says wild game. Like the fact that he just sees other humans as things to go down and hunt and like that's it is kind of it's like a new level of creepy because it's kind of like everybody's fair game to him.
1: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting.
2: Go to your happy place for a Happy price, got your happy price. price, Line
0: Shortly after, in August of the same year, we have what is known as his debut, a letter that he sent to the San Francisco Examiner. Uh, it's about three pages long, so I'm not going to read all of it to you. Essentially, it is him showing off a little bit, basically telling the police that if they keep looking and look deep into the ciphers that he's starting to send that they will eventually have his name and then proceeds to describe some of the events that took place on the murder on the 4th of july and also the one around christmas a notable part about this is when he was describing how he was aiming at people in the darkness he was talking about how he would essentially spray them like he was using a water hose and that. He was ultimately disappointed that he didn't make the front cover of the news for it. All in all, if you want to look for this letter and read it, it is kind of interesting. It's known as the Zodiac Debut Letter, and it's it's about three pages. But if you want to take a look at that, I'd recommend looking it up. It's at this point where he establishes his pattern of using that stamp.
1: Another thing that I came across that I will go into later detail on when we are talking about suspects is that... There's a watch called a Zodiac, which is the brand. And the symbol for that watch is a circle with a cross through it. And so it's believed that that's possibly where he got his idea for the symbol. But like I said, I will go into further detail about that later with the suspects because it correlates specifically with one suspect.
2: I do recommend checking out the letter that Bryce was just describing. It really gives a good insight to kind of who this person is because it's very dark and like it literally makes you cringe the whole time you read it because he's not uh that great of a person and you can tell that he just kind of does not feel a whole lot of remorse in these murders
0: well he definitely sees all of it as a game and he wants credit for it without giving his name out he's very much attached to this label of the zodiac killer and it's as if he wants everybody to know and everybody to care everybody to be scared and if not It's just going to make it worse.
2: Oh, yeah, he's definitely got some narcissistic tendencies going on. On September 27th, 1969, 22-year-old Cecilia Shepard and 20-year-old Brian Hartnell were sitting on a blanket by Lake Berryess near Napa, California. They had noticed a man acting kind of suspicious nearby. He was wearing a costume. Basically, he had on... The executioner covering over his head and it had the Zodiac symbol on it. And he was also holding a gun. Around 6.15 p.m., this man approaches them and said he was a prison escapee and needed money and a car to flee to Mexico. So Brian tries to give him his wallet and car keys. But after a couple minutes of conversating, the man ties the couple up with some pre-cut plastic clothesline and stabbed them with a knife that had a wooden handle and a 10 to 12 inch long blade. He stabbed Brian six times in the back and Cecilia 10 times, five in the front and five in the back. Cecilia passed away from her injuries, but Brian actually survived, which is how we are able to know exactly what happened. A guy who was fishing on the lake heard their screams and found a nearby park ranger for assistance. When police arrived, they found that there was a note written on the side of their vehicle. So it had the Zodiac symbol, it said Vallejo, and then it said 12-20-68, and then 7 4 and then September 27th, 69, and then 6.30, I think it's supposed to be 6.30 is the time, and it says by knife. So those dates correspond with some of the past attacks on couples in the area. So did he forget paper this time or did he plan to just write on a car? I guess he just wanted to write on the car, but Brian gave a description saying the man was about 5'8 and heavy set, maybe 225 to 250 pounds with dark brown hair that he was able to see through the eye holes of the executioner cover-up. But something about this crime that kind of sticks with me is that it seems like it was more planned out he came with the pre-cut clothesline and also it was with a knife which is not what we've been seeing in the past crimes
0: that same night at 7:40 p.m the napa county police department receives a phone call that had been placed from a telephone booth located just a few blocks away <laughs> officer by the name of david slate was the one that listens to the caller who said in a low monotone voice I want to report a murder. No, a double murder. They are two miles north of park headquarters. They are in a white Volkswagen Carmen Gia. Slate asked the man to provide the location, but the voice only grew more distant as the caller said, I'm the one who did it. The end.
1: Why does he start every phone call with, I'd like to report a murder? No, a double murder. Like, shouldn't he know the difference between the two? (laughs) He's just hyping
0: it up. It's not just one murder, but two. Now we're spooked.
1: I want to go back to what Abby said where she was talking about the fact that this is a stabbing and all the other murders have been gunshot victims. I just feel like it's really strange that he all of a sudden changed his M.O. He'd already killed a bunch of people with the gun and gotten away with it. And now he wants to try to switch up the weapons. And is he doing it because he feels cocky and so he feels more comfortable where he can attack with a knife? Or are there two Zodiacs?
2: When I first heard this, I genuinely thought that this was a different killer who was trying to put the crime off on the Zodiac because he had the symbol on and stuff. Just because it's so different from the first murders, I kind of think it's a different person.
1: I kind of think it is too. And I feel like he's just trying so hard to make himself seem like the Zodiac killer by wearing the Zodiac symbol and writing the dates of the other murders on the car. Yeah, that. And I just feel like he's trying too hard to impersonate the Zodiac Killer instead of it actually just being the Zodiac killer just doing his thing. This leads me into our next victim, Paul Stein. Paul was a cab driver and on October eleventh, nineteen sixty nine, around nine fifty five PM on Cherry Street, he was shot in the head with a nine millimeter semi automatic pistol. Three people witnessed this crime from a nearby house. When police got to the car, they found that the car was full of blood, and that Paul's wallet and keys had been taken. There was also a large portion of his shirt that had been torn off carefully. They were able to obtain bloody fingerprints from the vehicle, and they believed that it was that of the suspect. They also found a pair of men's size 7 black leather gloves. The witnesses that had seen the murder also watched the suspect. They were about 60 feet away, and they watched him wipe down the cab with a cloth after he murdered Paul. So they called the police and they gave a description of the suspect that they saw. They told police that they saw a white male who was 25 to 30 years old, about 5 foot 8 to 5 foot 9, stocky build, reddish brown hair, worn in a crew cut, heavy rimmed glasses, and was wearing dark clothing. They said that they last saw him walking north on Cherry Street. The police dispatcher who took the call and the description misheard the description that the witnesses gave. And the police dispatcher thought that they had said the suspect was a black male adult. This is actually something that really cost the police some time because patrol officers Donald Falk and Eric Zelms saw a white man walking east on Jackson Street. And they were like, he's not a black male, so there's no point in looking at him. And he walked right past him. And while the police officers did see him and didn't stop him, they did see what he looked like. And he matched the exact description of the suspect that was given by the witnesses. So the officers were kind of like, well, shit, we think like we just saw the killer, but we didn't, we were looking for a black man. And so we did not stop him.
2: Which is so sad to think that they could have had the perpetrator and like got him like held him accountable for the crimes he committed but just some miscommunication led them the other way.
1: And I kind of feel like this isn't the only case where the police might have seen the Zodiac killer. I feel like he was probably in and around a lot of the crime scenes when police were there. The police did search the area and they were unable to find him. They originally thought that this was just like some random killing of a cab driver because it's not atypical for that to happen. But on October 13th, 1969, police no longer believed that this was just a random killing of a cab driver.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at Pod at outlook.com.